Bibles to Genesis 37. That's where we're going to be. Where are we going this fall? So we're looking at the life of Joseph, who's the main character of a story that God is directing. Now, I need you to understand this. You are the main character of your life story, but you're not the director. You're not the director. You want to. You want to be like, hey, I'd like to change a few lines in my story. I'd like to change a few characters. This guy I'm married to, can I get a different guy? A little McConaughey looking, bronze, looks good on the beach. Can I get that? Right? We want to be director of our life story, but man, if you've lived to 18, you know you don't really have as much control as you think you do. Things happen that the director knows about, but you as the main character, you have no idea. And you've got a role, you've got lines, you've got things you're going to be a part of. You've got some control, but ultimately your control is so limited. And that's that's a struggle. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody in the room? I got control issues. Learned that over my Sabbath. I got control issues. My wife's got control issues. If I got to spend any time with you, I'm going to want to control you, and you're going to control back, and then we'll go, oh, we both have control issues. So we're looking at the story of Joseph, and Joseph is the main character, but he's not the director. Who's the director of this story, y'all? It's pretty simple. Okay, Sunday school answer. Starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus. Jesus. Okay, guys, you, you can do this. It's God. It's Jesus. Jesus is God. God is the director of the story. And I'm telling you, the story of Joseph is one of the most amazing stories in your Old Testament Bible. It is unbelievably good. It's, you're you're going to, like, just as a story goes, you're going to appreciate it. But I want to show you some things below the surface that are going to help us realize not just thousands of years ago for Joseph, but that right now today it could have an impact on who you are and how you live your story, which is ultimately inside of God's story, that I'm telling you guys can change the direction of generations. And I'm not saying that because I'm good at my job. I'm saying that because I believe it to be true. Some of the questions we're going to answer over this bit, all right, is this. Some of you, you don't feel like the favored child, all right? In my family, famously, my little brother is the favored one, okay? And I told my mom, my mom hates this, but she loved him. She, okay, I'm not going to say she loved him more, but she definitely loved him differently, all right? Moms, you know what it's like, right? You're like, I love all my kids the same, but this one I'll throw out of the boat last, all right? And that was my brother. That was my brother. Give you an example. When I was a kid, when, the way I learned how to swim, I remember it, at the New Mexico Military Institute pool, I remember what side of the pool, I can tell you where, what lane we were in. You know why? Because it was traumatic. This is how I learned how to swim. My mom's arms grabbed me underneath, my, or her hands grabbed me under my arms, and she went like this. I can remember being upside down before I hit the water. And listen, this is no joke. Kids, listen, you think your parents are mean. I remember like just doing everything I can, just, blah, 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 just swimming back to the edge. And my mom's like, you got to swim back to the edge. And as I hear her voice, but her voice is getting closer. I'm in the middle of the pool. And as it's getting closer, you know what she's doing? She's got my brother and she's like, you're doing great, Aaron. And she's just walking backwards. So I see them going by and I'm just like drowning for my life. And on that day in Roswell, New Mexico, I learned how to swim, right? So she loved him more, but I was strengthened. All right, some of you in this room, you feel like me, right? You feel like 
hey, God has just tossed you out and just made you drown, and it seems like he's blessing other people. I don't understand this. Well, we're going to look at that in this story. Some of you guys have asked that question, hey, I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. You ever felt that? Why do those things happen? Maybe, maybe you've always wondered, what is God's will for my life? Anybody ever wondered that? What's God's will for my life? What's he want to do with me? Maybe right now you're in a really tough season and it's causing some doubts in your heart about whether or not God is really doing anything. And you're struggling to believe that God is faithful. I want to tell you, man, I, I've been in that season. Some of you are in that season. Or you're afraid that God is going to let you down just like people have. Maybe he's not going to come through. Anybody ever felt that? Well, this story, guys, if that's you, maybe I just made it a little too real for you this morning. This is a real story that's going to talk about that. And it's not going to answer the way you like, but it's going to give you the real answer. And it's super good. So we're going to look at this. We're going to be in just chapter 37. I'm going to read through it piece by piece. We're going to look at some things. We're going to compare our lives and see what God is teaching us. And I'm going to break it into four parts, all right? And I started them all with P because that helps some of the OCD people in here, all right? Number one, we're going to look at the preface. We're going to look at the groundwork of the story. How does it begin? We're going to look at the power of jealousy. We're going to look at the plan of man. And then we're going to end by looking at the plan of God. You got that? The preface, the power of jealousy, the plan of man, and the, and the plan of God. So let's start off with the preface. Look at verse 1. I'm going to read it. You guys can follow along. It says this. Jacob lived in the land and his father's, of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. All right? Jacob, his name also gets changed to Israel. So when you guys think of Israel, that was actually Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. Does that make sense now? You get that? All right, cool. I just want you to understand that. So now it's going to cut into Joseph, the main character of the end of Genesis. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. He's a tattletale. Anybody like tattletales? Listen to me, tattletales don't like tattletales. There's never been a woman in her entire life, entire history goes, I'm trying to find me a man who is a tattletale. Nobody likes tattletales. So that's who this 17-year-old boy is. The, he's the, one of the youngest. <clears throat> and look at verse 3. Let's make things worse. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe with many colors. You know, this is really funny. Uh, anybody in here the oldest child? Anybody in here the oldest child in your family? Okay, I'm going to come back to you. Anybody here in the middle, a middle child in the room? Okay, hey, listen, you're loved. We see you. Okay? <laughs> anybody in here the youngest? Yeah, yeah, they're the babies, right? Everyone in here knows. They are more loved than the rest of the family because they're the babies. They're the babies. And the babies have a different attitude. <clears throat> we, it starts with an A, rhymes with arrogance. <clears throat> so this boy Jacob, he's loved. And what, what's going on here is uh, his, the dad, you know, does, doesn't even try to hide it. Buys him a colored jacket. 
And this colored jacket, I just all I want you to see is it's a symbol. And it's a symbol of favor that he has and that the brothers don't have. So to Jacob, it's a symbol my dad loves me. And that's a good thing. It's a really, really good thing that he's loved. But to the other brothers, it's a symbol of what? It's not necessarily that their dad doesn't love them. It's that he loves him more than us. Okay? Some of us have felt that. We know what that feels like. It brings about a lot of pain. And so what I want you to understand first is just the symbol. I want you to recognize the symbol. For you guys right now, none of y'all are freaking out about some colored jackets. All right? You're not freaking about some colored jackets. But there are some symbols in your life and in your context right now that mean a lot to you. And if somebody else has them and you don't, you feel like they are more favored than you. Am I right? Maybe you're a single gal in the room and you see somebody else getting engaged or getting married or you're going to these weddings and you're going, ah, God loves them more than he loves me. Right? Or you're a single guy and the same thing. Or you see a friend, right, and they got that new, you know, Chevy Suburban AT4, all white, you know, leather interior. I'm being specific because it's a problem I've got. And uh, you see that and you go, Ugh. you know, if only. Apparently they're more famous. Maybe God loves them more. Or for you guys, a, simple, a lot of things we use. Like, let's be real. A degree, job title, certain type of house, certain type of spouse, right? Certain position on the team. There are these things that every one of you in the room, you're looking left and right, and you're going, well, if I had that, then I'd be okay. So we look for symbols. And guys, it's not bad to have those things, but when we look to those symbols, what we're doing is we're looking because we're longing. Every one of you is longing for something in your life. Now, the biggest problem we have, especially in a culture like ours where there's a lot of things at our fingertips, is we don't understand our longings, and then they wage war inside of us and lead us to things that are pretty destructive. We have a longing. Your ultimate longing, guys, and the longing that these brothers have is you want to be loved. I don't care if you got, man, you got the testosterone of a bull shark, huge beard, you drink black coffee, you're just a man. You've got a longing to be loved, to be respected, to be appreciated, to have favor, to feel like you belong. Anybody in here? Everybody in here. We have that feeling. We're longing for that. And so what happens is you're, you, get, you, got, you get your eyes up. You feel that. You get your eyes up and you look and you go, well, that right there or this right there or those friendships or this relationship or that car or that, that job or that amount of money or whatever. And we look to these things and we long for them because we want to be loved we want to belong. We want to be respected. We want to be appreciated. We want to have favor. We want those things. Do you see that? Anybody? Nobody? If you're listening on the line later, there are people in the room. It's not me just talking to myself. There are people here. You need to understand this, guys, before, for you to understand the story. For this to just go beyond being a story, you need to realize that some of you know what it's like to be Joseph and some of you know what it's like to be the brothers. You can feel what these brothers feel. They are ticked. It hurts. They're probably going home and they're just like bickering to their wives, mad at their dad. Okay, let's keep going. Because he's about to make this worse. God's about to make this worse. Check this out. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Why did they hate him? Well, listen to this, listen to this dream. And he said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. 
Behold, we were, we were binding sheaves in a field, all of us, right? And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Okay? He's 17. Okay, let's give him a break. Apparently, he kind of doesn't figure it out. And behold, uh, right, and then he says, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Like the interpretation of this dream is quite simple. Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. We hate your mouth even moving. Okay, verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers because it worked out so well the first time. And he said, behold, I've had another dream. I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. <laughs> okay, again, easy interpretation. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were what? What's the word it says in your Bible? They were jealous. They were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Okay. So we got a symbol, which is this coat. Then suddenly we get these signs, these dreams. And these dreams, guys, are from God. If you read the rest of the story, you're going to find out they're going to come true. These are dreams from God. His brothers are going to bow down to him. Okay. And... Uh, it's a picture of what's going to happen. And so this kid, he starts to, he has at least enough faith, we can call it arrogance, but listen to me, the line between faith and arrogance is so thin, and I believe that Joseph crosses over it. And I want to show you two things, faith and doubting. Faith and doubting. He gets a dream and he has faith that God's going to come through on this promise. Now it crosses over into arrogance because then he boasts about it to his brothers, Right? This is where we get to see the providence and sovereignty of God. Why does God show Joseph this aspect? Why does he show him this vision? Couldn't he have showed him a vision that there's going to be fasting, or I mean, there's going to be a famine, you guys are going to be able to eat, and Joseph's going to save you guys? And be like, oh, sweet, Joseph. Can't wait to figure out how you're going to do this. No, he shows him something that's going to cause conflict, didn't he? And then it goes and it causes conflict. And here's the thing. He's got faith as God's going to do it. The brothers have doubts that God is for them. Not only is they, are they doubting that their father's for them, they're doubting that God is for them. And God, guys, listen, uh, that doubt in God is just one step away from jealousy. But both arrogance and jealousy have something in common, and it's pride. Arrogance is what? It's me thinking I'm better than you because of the things I have. I'm better than you, right? Jealousy is also pride because it's, no, I'm better than you and you don't deserve that. Anybody? And it's the same thing. Both think that they're better than the other. But faith is different. Faith is believing that God is good and he'll come through in his promises. And doubt is basically saying, I don't think God is good. I don't think he will come through in his promises. And what this does is it creates a split in this family between those who have faith and those who have doubt. Do you hear what I'm saying? I need you to hear this because it's going to make a lot of sense the further we go through 37. You need to understand this because you're living in a culture that wants to do just that. And I'm not talking Democrats and Republicans. Who gives a pile of anything, all right, about what they think? All right? Listen to me. 
Joseph, okay, let me, I, I'm going I'm to go sidestep for a second, okay? This is Greg over here, Bible over there. Let me just tell you something. Listen, when, Joseph, when Joshua was leading the people of Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land, he's got all these people and he's leading them through. An angel of the Lord meets him on the way and the angel of the Lord has a sword drawn and is standing in the way. And so Joshua, terrified out of his mind, falls on his face. And what does Joshua ask the angel? He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? You know what the angel says? No. So all my Republican and Democrat friends in here, you go, are you for us or are you for our enemies? No. I'm not for you. I'm for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. And that's what's going on here is there's going to be people trying to set their own agendas in this story, and God's just going to laugh because he's going to bring about the way he wants. Let's, go, let's just look at this, all right? It's fantastic. Let's keep going. Verse 34, or uh, well, that's Matthew 34. Let's keep cruising, okay? We're going to go down to verse 12. You ready? You with me? Verse 12. I just skipped a whole chunk, and it's great. Speeding up for you, getting to lunch faster. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he said to them, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him uh, from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, "Um, tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. All right, so he's been sent on the same journey that he's been sent on before. Hey, go check out on your brothers, all right? And, and so it's another tattletale journey he's been sent on. But things are different, because not only is he a tattletale, but he's got this super sweet looking colored jacket, right? And not only does he have the colors jacket, but he's the kid who's saying, hey, all y'all are going to bow down to me. I'm going to tell dad what you're doing. I got a jacket. You're going to bow down. Things are different. And so now we're in the second point, which is the power of jealousy. And jealousy is so powerful. So what's about to happen next? Things are different. They see this little bro coming from a long way off. Look at their reaction. It's a reaction of rage. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to do what? To kill him. To kill their brother. Some of you in here, you said, I'm, you've told your sibling you're going to kill him. You didn't mean it like these guys mean it. And they said to one another, here comes, the, listen to this. Look, what, look at the knives they're, about, they're pulling out of their hearts right now. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the, one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Let me read that again. Pay close attention. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Guys, jealousy is extremely powerful for those who doubt in the goodness of God. And I want you to know, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, you follow Jesus, okay, you're, you're Joseph in the story. You're Joseph in the story. You've got to follow and you're trusting in the promises of God. And listen to me, friends. I know it's hard for you to understand because for 400 years being a Christian in America has not really been a problem. It's not really been a problem. 
But God has made you promises. And the question is, do you believe in those promises? Do you trust that God will bring them about? Has God brought you promises? Let me go back. Let me ask you a few things. If you're believing in this room, God has made you promises, and you should live your life based on those promises regardless of what's going to happen. But I'm telling you right now, if you believe in those promises, they will hate you for it. They'll mock you for believing in your sky daddy, and that'll just be the beginning. Some people are going to call me crazy, but I have some Eastern European friends who tell you, hey, you ain't crazy. They're going to do far more than you could even imagine to you if you actually live like you believe this. You know why they're not trying to kill you Christians and fight you right now? Because you just don't look like you believe in the promises. You're not living it. Not not mean being arrogant, but do you believe? What are some of the promises God has made us? Let me just see if you can finish some sentences, right? The New Testament says what? It says that he who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to carry it to completion. Do you believe that? Some of you guys go, man, I'm still struggling with my alcohol. I'm still struggling with my mouth. I'm still struggling with my pride. Do you believe God's going to carry it to completion? You go, then I'll stay steadfast. I'm not going to give up because he'll do it, right? It's a promise. He says that he will never leave you or what? Look at this. So you know some of the promises? But hold on, last week you were like, where are you, Lord? He said, I'll never leave you and you finished it or forsake you. I'm here. All right, in John 14, verse 2, Jesus says, hey, I'm going away, and he's going to prepare something. What was it? A place for you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. You think that little Airbnb you're getting ready is going to be super sweet? I'm preparing a place for you, just like a person, like when your family, when, listen, when family's coming, my wife gets the house ready in a way that's just different. Do you understand? Jesus is just different. He's family. He's preparing a place for you. And then, and this fall, later, we're going to be going to the book of Revelation, and he says he's going to do what one day? He's going to, he's going to come for you. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that this invisible God, right, who lived 2,000 years ago, he's died and he's sitting in some heavenly place somewhere, or he's in your heart, do you really believe that he's going to come back for you? Do you really believe that? Okay. You're going to get chances to find out if you really believe that. And God's grace is sufficient. But listen to me. If you live like you believe it, you will be hated for it. And it will stir up a jealousy like you have never seen before. And your friends, and listen, I'm going to read some scripture, in your family. Now let me read this to you. Reuben, where are my oldest kids at? Back to the oldest. Hey, listen, you can never be perfect, and that is okay. Let me show you. Reuben, verse 21, let's look at this. He says this, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, which he didn't rescue him, he's trying to. He said, let us not take his life. Hey, guys, don't do this. Dad's going to be mad. Okay. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his, to his father. Okay. It's a perfectionistic, first child, fear of failure, kind of thing playing out. I don't even know why they put it in there, but I think they do. Here's why I think they put it in there. The brothers have a plan. And what was that plan? It says, let's see what will become of this this guy's dreams. Let's kill the dreamer and the dreams will go away. So they've got a plan that they've got. Reuben's got a plan, which is, it looks really good and nice. Like some of you, you have good and nice plans. You want to help people. But the problem is it's not God's plan. So the brothers have a plan, not God's. 
Uh, these guys have a plan, not God's. But God's going to use both of these plans to bring about something that is actually his plan. God is so much bigger than you guys, right? Because he's the director. So let's go. So what do they do? Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe. Let's get out. Get the symbol off of him. The robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in the pit. All right. We've looked at it from the brothers' perspective a little bit of jealousy. And we'll come back to that. But I want you to think about being Joseph. I've got a friend, I I pastored with him. His brother literally threw him in a pit, put a a piece of sheet metal over top, and put dirt over it. He was in there for over six hours screaming. I asked him, hey, what was that like? And he goes, what do you think? It's horrible. Screaming. Couldn't lift it up because he's a little kid. It's like torture. Look at what's the next verse say. It says that they sat down to eat. Probably heard the kid over there screaming in the pit, and they're just over sitting there eating, like, listen to this kid. Listen to him screaming. What are you going to say now, Joseph? Okay, so when you're, when you're thinking about being the main character of your life, and some of you feel like you're in the pits, that's the moment you want to call the director and be like, hey, I need to re- rewrite some lines in here because this is not what I'm wanting to do. I see that you're wanting me to be in a pit, right? Can I get a stunt double for that? That'd be really great if somebody else could stand in for me, take that pain and suffering, and then I just go around that. And guys, I want to tell you, Following Jesus does not mean that you're not going to have pits and you're not going to have horrible moments. And not, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be just beautiful. It doesn't. It's actually part of the plan of God is he's going to let things continue to happen as they have happen, but he's going to use them to do things for you, right? Because he promised you that he's what? Working all things together for the good of who? Those who love him, those who are like Joseph, who believe in the promise of God. He's going to work it together. And so he's sitting in there. And so here's the thing, guys. You guys need a stand-in. You want a stand-in, and there's somebody who is a stand-in, who got in the pit, who took the pain, and the director organized it to be this way, to take it for you. And who is that? It's Jesus. Joseph gets stripped. He gets mocked. He gets thrown in a pit. But Jesus, Jesus came humbly He wasn't dressed in a coat of many colors, but he loves you guys. And he came to rescue us. And they beat him. They dressed him in royal symbols, right? They stripped him naked, and then they crucified him. And everything he did was right and good. Never sinned once. And he did that to stand in for you because you couldn't make it past that part of the movie. You wouldn't have made it. You wouldn't have have been able to turn over the chapter of death. And so he took on death for us, am I right? In 1 John 3, 11 through 15, here's something you need to understand, guys. It says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because he, his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In other words, he was jealous. So if Jesus faced these things, pain, even though he followed God perfectly and he had pain come, Then, listen, verse 13 of 1 John 3 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You guys want to change the lines? You want to change the story and go, man, if I'm following Jesus, it means there should be no pain? I'm telling you, if you're following Jesus well, it means that there's going to be a sword that's going to separate between you and the rest of the community. Do you understand? It's an expectation. And John 15, 18 through 20 says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hates you. That's Jesus. 
And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He says, remember, a servant is not greater than the master. Friends, listen to me. I'm, I'm really excited about this message because it's helping me find out and helping me communicate to you guys something that you don't want to hear, but something that I'm desperate to see happen in Cody. My prayer while I was gone is that God would take a sword through the middle of this community and he would show us those who have faith in God and those who are just very clear and saying, I do not have faith in that God. And everybody who wants to live in that gray area will be exposed. And I'm not meaning that in a judgmental way. Because I'm a sinner and I'm broken. But you know what the world really needs right now? These Christians go, hey, yeah, I do believe in this. But who also look like Jesus and say, but I am here to love you regardless. But I will not compromise on what I believe to be the true. And I will not, I'm not, I don't want your suburban more than I want my God. And I don't want a spouse just to have a spouse more than I want my Jesus. And I hope God will just wake us up to help us see that they're going to eventually come and say, we're going to start making choices for you. Do you choose Jesus or are you going to do what we tell you to do? You understand? And so this is what it is. It's jealousy of versus jealousy for. Jealousy is powerful. It's the second point I want to talk about. Jealousy is so powerful that it's leading these brothers to want to kill. And the only, only way that most of you guys think about jealousy is you think about jealousy as a feeling or, uh, or showing an envious resentment to someone or their achievements, possessions, and perceived advantages. You're jealous of what they have and you don't. But you guys know, listen to this. This is really important. I know I'm all over the place because I've got about a thousand things I want to tell you. You probably can see that. But right now you need to hear this. In the Bible, it says that God is jealous. And it's a jealousy that is amazing. Let me define it for you. It's, and it's not a jealousy of, God is not jealous of anyone, but he is jealous for himself through you. The jealousy of God is his holy commitment to honor, glory, and, lo and love that manifests itself in the salvation of his people and the just condemnation of all who stand in opposition to him. All right? Jesus is jealous for those that he loves and anyone who stands against him and those he loves, he will condemn. Now, some of you go, I don't like that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let me prove that you do. All right? I am jealous for my wife. Anybody got a problem with that? Currently, you don't. I, have, I am jealous for my wife's love and attention. You go, oh, he's just a jealous guy. Sure, I'm not as pure and holy as God is, but I am jealous for my wife's attention. And so that jealousy for my wife's attention is going to lead me to do things that are kind of loving for her, right? I want her attention, so I'm going to love her. I'm going to clean. I'm going to care. I'm going to do these things. And my jealousy for her is going to play out in a beautiful way, as it should. Now, let me ask you, guys. If another man comes along, wants to capture her attention of the woman I'm jealous for, and wants to lead her to his room, how do you think my jealousy for my wife is going to play out? Hopefully, in God's grace, I'll forgive the man. But my first thoughts are what? I'm going to beat him to death. And you, any man in here disagree with me? Anybody? Any, any man would go, you shouldn't do that. 
Well, probably you would say I shouldn't do that, but you wouldn't go, you shouldn't feel that way. Anyone, anybody, if you tell me I shouldn't feel that way, I, I'm not going to listen to you. You're crazy. And you don't love your spouse if you're married or else you're just not married and you don't get it. Do you understand? Does that make sense, anybody? Men in the room, wouldn't you, you, you're like, yes, I would turn a man's face inside out. That's the difference. God is so incredibly in love for his people that it's a sword between those he loves and those who are, who are rejecting him. Now, he will welcome anybody in who will believe and trust in him and his promises. But if, like the brothers, you say, I don't trust you, it's going to be a sword dividing between those he loves and those he condemns. Do you get it now? That's the jealousy for that God has for us. And it is so powerful. It's so powerful that God is going to work above and beyond these guys' plans. And check it out. I want you to see this, and then we're going to wrap it up. Because it's just so good. Maybe I'm the only one excited, and I love it. But you need to see this. Verse 25. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a certain caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. This is really important. Remember those, those spices. Then Judah, this is so important. Remember this is Judah saying this. If you're around with us the rest of this time, this is Judah saying this. If you want to go ahead and read the rest of the story, see what Judah says later on. It's amazing. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Listen to this. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our own flesh. Like, how insanely wicked is that? You know what? He's our brother. Let's not kill him. Why? It's not that he cares about killing him. He just found out he could also make some money. Is instead of just like having to hatch this plan, I can hatch this plan, get rid of the guy, and I can get some money. And look at what kind of money he gets. What does he get? And his brothers listen to him. That's a good idea, Judah. That's a great idea. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up out, up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took him to Egypt. Hey guys, when Judas betrays Jesus, what's he betray him for? Some silver. You see this? Jesus betrayed for you for the same thing. Now, do you think God is going, oh, shoot, I, I did not plan for him to get sold into Egypt. All right, everybody get together. We've got to get a plan together. How are we going to make this work out? Do you think that's what, you, what God was thinking, the director? I didn't see it going this way. God knew exactly what was going to happen. God knew the Ishmaelite caravan was coming by. He knew that before Joseph had a dream that his brother was going to bow down to him. You see that? That's the power of the director. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat, dipped it, the robe in blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. I mean, please identify whether or not this is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces, right? They hear that, and the brothers are all relieved. The plan worked out, right, you know? And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, which is hell in their version, mourning. Thus his, father, 
Thus his father wept for him. The brothers got away with it. At least that's what it looks like, right? Right now when you read the story, it looks like their plan happened, man's plan. They got away with it. Reuben's didn't work out. Those dreams are suddenly all gone. They lied to their dad and he believes them. And the worst thing they have right now is just the memory of watching their brother go away and counting the silver and the shrieks of their dad weeping. It's all the memory they got. If they could just put that away, they're good to go. They don't have to worry about it ever again. Now's the plans of man. And here's the thing. I think some of you guys, you're seeing some things right now and you're going, man, Lord, I'm looking at the way things are going and I can't see where you're at. It doesn't seem like your plans are working out. It doesn't seem like you're trying to uh, stay with me. It seems like you have forsaked me. It doesn't seem like you're trying to work all things together for my good. All I got in my camp is weeping and people counting money over me because they're trying to sell me out. And you doubt God's plans. It's so, it's like, and if you do have those plans, God, maybe it's just you're not powerful enough to bring it about. But I want you guys to read the last verse of chapter 37. Just go look at it and read it right now. Is it on the screen? Read that. You go, well, what does that mean? How can that mean anything? Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. That meanwhile is one of the most significant things that you need to have faith in. Because even when you can't see it, God is working. Even when it looks like the enemy around you or whoever your enemy is, is singing and dancing and dancing and counting their silver. Meanwhile, God is doing something else. Guys, I want to tell you, if you're feeling itchy, go read the rest of the story or come back next week. I'm going to pick it up where it left off next week. That meanwhile is to tell you guys, hey, meanwhile, God is doing things that you can't see. And though your life may be the pits, though your life may be slavery, though your life may be death one day, or prison. Meanwhile, God is bringing about something that is so good that if you just have faith, you'll get to see it. Do you understand? Let's go. Some of you, I'm telling you, trust God this week. Let's pray. Why don't you guys stand with me and we'll pray because we're going to sing. We're going to worship this God. Well, Jesus, um, man, Jesus, I love you. Thank you that I get to be back doing this. I feel kind of like a, like a horse in some racing stalls, ready to just take off. But I thank you, God, that no matter what plans I have, you plan out the steps, and you've got plans for every single one of us in this room. And God, a lot of us have fear and doubt, and I just thank you for this story that reminds us whether we're in a pit, whether we're in a palace, and meanwhile, while we can't see it, you're doing things. I pray for this group of people in this room that they would have trust in you, that they would believe and they would have faith in you. That they would acknowledge the jealousy in their hearts of others and recognize, God, that you're going to provide. You're going to meet the needs. And I love you, God, that you do care for us. I love you that you 
see us. Thank, thank you, God, that even when we're not faithful, you are. And I pray, Lord, today, just for today, we would rest in your arms as we sing this song, being reminded that you love us, you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.